Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up on this edition, first up, it's Jefferson Bethke. A few years back, he released a YouTube video about loving Jesus rather than religion. It garnered millions of views. He and his wife, Alyssa, have written a book in which they share insight into God's love expressed in the marriage relationship. Then, former NFL player Ed Tandy McGlasson, he has a track record in ministering to men and provides some encouragement and guidance for fathers in blessing their children. Plus, my Reformation series continues with a testimony of personal reformation. Andrea Severson's spiritual journey has taken her from ceremonial religious background into a walk with Christ. Find out more ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, perhaps you're familiar with the book, Same Kind of Different as Me, the story of an unlikely friendship between an art dealer and a homeless man. That touching story has been made into a movie, and you'll be hearing from producer Darren Mormon. Finally, you'll meet Randy Dawkins, a scientist who works in the pharmaceutical industry, who has begun to try his hand at writing faith-infused fiction, illustrating the compatibility between matters of science and faith. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Jefferson Bethke became an instant sensation with a video called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus, which has been viewed over 32 million times. He and his wife Alyssa have co-written a book called Love That Lasts, How We Discovered God's Better Way for Love, Dating, Marriage, and Sex, drawing a contrast between how the world regards love and marriage and God's plan for relationships. Here now is Jefferson Bethke. The first thing that we really try to concentrate on, which I think uh, we've learned in the trenches ourselves, is that God created marriages to be teams. Now, of course, we're more obviously doing that than some people, like just because, you know, your husband goes to work and you stay at home, you're still a team. We just, we do it in a little bit more obvious way, but it's shown us that, yeah, that every marriage, whether your husband leaves or doesn't leave or you do videos or you have different jobs, whatever, at the end of the day, you guys are still an entity. Like God brought you two together as one flesh um, to bear his image into the world. And I think, um, yeah, that's something that I think we've learned and that's been really fun is that, you know, relationships, you have to think of it in the way of like, who's the person, you know, especially for people listening who are maybe in dating or engaged, like, is this person you're dating or engaged? Are they going to make, is the entity that you guys are going to become going to make you a more fuller image of Jesus and kind of allow you to do things, um, to fulfill your calling that maybe you couldn't have done as well, uh, single. And that, that's what I think the fun, special part about marriage is and doing it with a, a spouse. As you look at your own relationship and what God taught the two of you as far as, as dating and, and how that is to be approached biblically, what are some of the things that God taught the two of you? Yeah, I think for us, uh, you know, being married five years now, I think early on we realized you have to date with a vision, meaning when you're getting into a relationship, it's not just for fun. It's not just because it feels good, but you're actually putting yourself on a trajectory not to get married the next day, but definitely marriage should be the goal. And if it's not, then a lot of times that's when you get a lot of emotional hurt and pain because it's you kind of were dating with no purpose or vision. And same goes with those married people. And so, yeah, I would uh, encourage, you know, we've already get we're already getting a lot of feedback from parents who have kind of, you know, because the book's definitely more for like the young adult, 25 to 35 year old range, millennial generation, healthy relationships. Um, but it, on the the bottom, the, the low end, that definitely hits, you know, people like maybe in college and dating and stuff like that. So we're getting a lot of messages from, you know, like 50 year old parents with adult kids 
who are just, you know, grabbing a couple copies for their kids or for their friends' kids. And it's cool to see that it's bridging that gap in regards to letting them communicate with each other. And I just think it's a, a really fun. But yeah, that's the one thing we learned is um, ourselves is that when you date with a vision or intentionality, it brings a lot more joy and peace and blessing. And same with marriage. Marriage, you need to have a vision. You have to have a goal. You have to have somewhere you're going. Obviously, the world's definition of love is quite different than God's definition of it. So when you look at love in the sense of two people being called by God to come together who love each other and become husband and wife, what are some of the characteristics of God's love and how do they contrast with what the world is trying to teach or sell, as you see? Totally. And that, yeah, that's the whole first chapter that I write is on the different views that the culture has of love and how God kind of breaks those down. One thing I think is, you know, a little bit of a generalization, but in general, the culture's view of love is all about taking. What can I get? What can make me feel better? Um, what can serve me and what will give make what will give me the easiest life? So we try to think of the person. We want to date and marry the person that will um, make the least amount of comments about what's, you know, what's, what's what we need to grow in. Um, kind of serve us in the most way, be most like us. Um, and Jesus is the exact opposite. Jesus is not about taking, but he's about giving, about sacrifice. Like it's clear to him that love is actually laying your life down for another person, he himself showing that first. And so that's that's kind of what we talk about is there's a big difference between taking and giving. One creates a beautiful cycle. One creates a really unhealthy cycle. And um, it's not about a feeling, which the culture likes to say, but it's about an action. You know, love is seeking the highest good of the other person. And when you do that, it's more work, but it is also more joy. Um, you feel like, ah, yes, this is what I was created to live in. And so that's one of the main differences we talk about for sure. Jefferson Bethke here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, Jeff and Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A dot com. This is the Intersection Podcast with former NFL player Ed Tandy McGlasson. He has a background in ministry to men. He's released a six-video series entitled The Blessing of the Father for Families. In our recent conversation, he shared words of encouragement for fathers. Here now is Ed Tandy McGlasson. Here's the first thing. For you to be able to bless your kids, number one, you've got to be able to receive that first from God for yourself. And the first step of that is that you've got to Kind of, you know, today it's interesting. There's been a lot of debate about why, you know, NFL players are, are taking a knee, right? Really yeah. dishonoring. There's a lot of reasons why they're doing it. Being a player myself, I've, I've seen that. We would have never done that in our day. And so the question is for most people, way outside the NFL, it's just this picture I saw as I was watching this. How many of those players and how many of the kids in the United States are young dads right now? took a knee and didn't stand up and become the father they needed. Well, that wound that those young people carry, they, the only way God's given us this, this thing called mercy that we can give to our dad by forgiving them, and it is crucial. And the reason why it's so crucial is that until you're able to, to let your dad off the hook and forgive him, and you, someone might say, well, you don't know how wicked he was. Well, I know this. I know that this guy that had his finger on a trigger in Las Vegas had a level of anger and hatred in him that started somewhere. Who knows where it started? I, I, it's very possible that it started with his own hatred of his father, because there is a story of how much he was belittled. But see, when those hurts are not dealt with, they turn to bitterness, and bitterness turns to rage many times. And People either do themselves in, or they drink, or they distract themselves with pleasure or life or whatever they do. 
But see, when you don't forgive your dad and you're saying, well, I'm just going to wait until my dad makes it right, you're basically taking the healing that your heart needs, right? And you're, you're putting it in the hands of the person that hurt you. But when you obey what Scripture says and, and, and what Jesus came to give us because of we've been forgiven by him, if we choose to forgive our dad, we take the pain that we're waiting for our dads to heal in us, and we actually get to transfer it right into Christ's life. Hmm. That's why forgiveness is so powerful. And it's really hard to bless your kids without a blessing, especially when you live in bitterness, because it's real easy just to put upon them the same things. Because I ask this question all the time in my events. How many of you had dads that were really hard on you? Raise your hands. Hands are up all over the room. How many of you promised before you have kids that you'll never be hard on your kids? Raise your hand. All the hands mm-hmm. go up in the room. Yep. Then I say, how many of you have blown that and you're really hard on your kids? And they're all hands go up. I said, well, you know why? Because the bitterness you still carry and the lack of the blessing that God wants to give you to make you into the man that he wants you to do is informing you more. And so guess what you're doing? You're driving your kids the same way you were driven. So how's it working? That step right there, Bob, mm-hmm. leads, leads that man into an, to an open heart. And here's the second one. I'm not sure how much more time we have, but and, and this changed me with my kids. I went through this incredible encounter that I write about in my books, uh, the difference a father makes and the father you've always wanted. Um, I had this incredible encounter with the father, but I was able to totally forgive my stepdad for the things that he did in my story. But see, the next step really requires this H word called humility. It's not a goalpost, (laughs) but it's really necessary to go to your kids with this kind of a question. And this is what I asked them. I said, could you help me understand how much I've hurt you as a dad so that I can ask for forgiveness? Bob, I'm going to tell you that question just delayed me with my kids. I saw their hearts begin to open up to me. Sometimes it takes time. There's sometimes you've got to ask that question different ways over and over again. But the parenting manual you need, Dad, if you're a young dad, is in the reaction and in the heart of that little child that you're raising right now. Because he has one question, if it's his son. Dad, do you like me? Do you like who I am? Or do I got to become something bigger and stronger and faster and smarter before you're going to like who I am as a person? So much that we parent our kids about performance and daughters, you know, they got this other question. Daddy, am I beautiful? Ed Tandy McGlasson here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website Blessing of the Father. Well, Andrea Severson spoke with me recently. She's authored a book entitled Altar Girl, Walking Away from Religion into the Heart of Faith. In our conversation, she discussed her spiritual journey, including her transition from religious practice into a discovery of a walk with Jesus Christ. Here now is Andrea Severson. Two things stand out for me among in my journey, Bob. One is I had my own personal reformation. 
um, and this happened when my husband and I were attending and being part of a Lutheran church, was my first Reformation Sunday. Well, Catholics don't really celebrate Reformation Sunday. We celebrate a lot of other wonderful holy days and um, special days, but the Reformation wasn't one. And that was my first real understanding. Even though I know I learned about the Reformation in history and religion class growing up, to really experience what Martin Luther was coming up against as he was a Catholic monk, trying, working, sacrificing, fasting really hard to please God. He was a very devout Catholic monk, and he was exhausted um, by all of the practices he was doing and had no peace that he was really in a sense of um, good standing with God. And so he, was, um, he had his own uh, moment and really felt like what some of the things the Catholic Church were, was imposing on folks were not really what he was understanding to read in the Bible about how faith is a gift, grace is a gift, and we can't do anything. We cannot do anything to earn that. It's all, it's all God's favor. And so hearing this story at the right time in my life, and then really feeling and experiencing this idea of being exhausted myself in trying so hard. I, I kind of joke in the book that I felt like Martin Luther and I were part of the same group, the Exhausted Catholic Overachievers group. And I don't think God wants us to be exhausted. I don't think he wants us to feel um, not at a sense of peace. He wants us to realize that the gift he gave us in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins was sheer gift, and we are meant to receive it and live it, live it to the fullest. So in my Protestant field trip, I learned this. I had my own personal reformation, and I, I think about that all the time. It was um, bigger, almost as big to me as any of the sacraments I've received in my life. My second piece to that journey was in, an, in another church, in the um, seeker startup that my husband and I helped with. There was a young pastor who um, gave a sermon and used the analogy of two rocking chairs. He actually brought them up to the front of the church. There wasn't an official altar in this church. We were meeting in a school auditorium. And Pastor Will Forsyth talked about rocking chair Jesus. And he said, this is how Jesus wants to talk with you. He just wants to be sitting in a rocking chair right next to you and hearing your heart. And this was also new for me because I was used to praying to the God Almighty in a very fancy, marble, ornate church setting with high, um, just a, a very high church experience. Experience with all sorts of statues and incense and beautiful votive candles and a, a very holy and reverent setting. And here I was in a school auditorium with a young pastor and really simple rocking chairs. And he was teaching me that Jesus wants to be my friend and wants to hear about my day, just like my husband does when he sits in a rocking chair next to me or a girlfriend does. And this was another alteration for me to really be thinking about Jesus as a companion through life, side by side, with me, every step of the way. 
So these two experiences in my Protestant field trips really informed a new way of being with Jesus and really starting this relationship with him as a friendship. And it changed my life, Bob. Andrea Severson here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website Alter Girl Book, spell alter, A-L-T-E-R, dot com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. Also, through that homepage, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary highlighted on the Meeting House program. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Well, I spoke recently with the producer of the motion picture, same kind of different as me, Darren Mormon. He discussed the story of the film, its background, cast, and central themes. Here now is some material from that conversation. It's Darren Mormon. When I read the book, it changed how I view the world. <laughs> uh, living here in the Los Angeles area, there there are a lot of people that you know are less fortunate than than I am, and uh, a lot of homeless around, and it, it just has changed the way that I, you know, I can't just walk by a homeless person. It, it, you know, I, I, because of the reading of this book and how it's changed the course of my life, I, I have to stop and have a conversation and buy them a meal and, uh, you know, and just be reminded that, you know, they are, they are created just like I am and that God has a purpose for their life and none of them. None of them started out their life and wanted to be homeless. And so how, how can I play a part in just uh, just taking a moment and uh, recognizing them and loving on them in that moment? And some of them I've become friends with, and they have my cell phone. And, wow. Uh, you know, and we're, we're trying to, as a family, uh, just do our best to, to be reminded every day that every life does matter. Well, in the times in which we live, I was going to ask you, as far as the relevance, the timing of this particular film, it has a positive message. It has a spiritual message. What do you hope audiences can really take away? I know we've, I know we've touched on it really to a certain extent, but wrap it up for us, if you would, as far as what you would want audiences to, to take away from this, especially in light of the culture in which we find ourselves. Well, you know, this, this story deals with racial tension, uh, which is obviously uh, a huge issue in our country and in our world. Uh, we, you know, racial tension isn't black and white. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's worldwide. Uh, and, you know, I, and I think it deals with it in, in an authentic and honest and, you know, in, in gritty way, but it, it tackles it that, that be, you know, that love, love can overcome that. And that's, that's important to me. And I also, you know, again, coming back to this theme of, of forgiveness, uh, when, when Debbie forgives Ron, uh, it not only changes their marriage, but it ultimately leads to, um, 
significant change in the entire inner city of Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, so, in a, in a world that doesn't forgive uh, as as well as it should, I'm hoping that this movie uh, sort of shows uh, a path that there is hope um, when we forgive. Awesome. And this, of course, same kind of different as me, based on the book by Ron Hall and Denver Moore. And it, of course, tells their story as well as Debbie, Ron's wife. And Darren, if people want to find out more information about the film, where it's playing near them and other aspects of same kind of different as me, how can they find it online? Yeah. So obviously the the, the movie has a website, same kind of different as me, movie dot com uh where it has all kind of things that you can watch and and shows also uh how you can find the film uh but you know it opens nationwide on october 20th so however you find your movies whether it's fandango or the newspaper uh, you'll be able to find where your local listings are a very important film based on a very well-received book. Actually, there were two. There was Same Kind of Different as Me, and I believe there was a sequel after that, right? Yeah, uh, there absolutely was a, was a, a sequel. And the sequel really focused on, you know, the book was called uh, What Difference Do It Make, was uh, really focused on all the stories, all the people that were changed from reading the first book and hearing Ron and Denver's story. And, uh, you know, my, my, my hope is, is that this movie will just take that, that ministry that has been already been built uh, and just explode it to a new level. So uh, one of the things that I'm not sure that you know of, but on uh, two days before the movie opens, there are 150 uh, rescue missions across the country they're putting on red carpet events, using the film, showing it to their the people that serve, the people that donate, um, and they're going to use it as a fundraising tool to raise money for the for the poor and the homeless uh, across the country. Darren Mormon here on the intersection. You can learn more about the film by going to same kind of different as me movie.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Randy Dawkins, a Christian who is a scientist. He's written a work of fiction entitled THB, Book One of the Coded Message Trilogy. In our conversation, he discussed elements of the book, which explores the compatibility of science and faith. Here now is Randy Dawkins. Luke is an astrophysicist, and he's working on a Mars mission. Uh, So for him, he feels, and so this is that somewhat in the future towards the, the end of the century, around 2089. So so it's somewhat sci-fi, but it's not so sci-fi that, you know, you, other people can't relate to it. And so he is pretty happy with, with where his life is. One day he's getting a cup of coffee and this piece of confetti-like paper floats down with these three letters, THB, on it. Uh, this other person comes to pick up the paper, but then runs away. So he's like sort of intrigued to say, well, what is this? He tries to search out what it could possibly mean. And he gets arrested. He gets questioned. He really gets pulled into this sort of world conspiracy that he finds out that the world is not as he thought it was. So uh, it leads him down this role of um, sort of worldwide conspiracy that he has to then figure out. And everything seems to point to these three letters, he has to figure out what they mean. 2089, what's life like in the world on Earth in 2089? 
you have a lot more, I, I think that the way I looked at this was a, a lot more uh, technology advancements, uh, sort of sort of the cutting edge of what we're doing now, but much more commonplace. You know, you have cars that drive themselves, you have hollow computers, um, you have many more, you know, technologically ad advances. Um, and w one person was asking me about, well, you know, how, you know, why isn't it more sci-fi-ish? And I thought, well, when you go back and look like, you know, these reports back in the 60s and 70s, like our world today was supposed to have flying cars, be more like the Jetsons. And, you know, that really didn't happen. We have a lot more technology, uh, but our lives are pretty much the same. So that's sort of the, the way I took it where we'd have a lot more technology, but uh, our lives would be sort of the same as far as how we would do things, but just do it in a much more technologically advanced society. Mm. And in this technologically advanced society, and we're projecting just over, what, 70 years into the future here. So where is the the place or the relevance of God in this particular culture that you portray in the book? Yeah, so uh, really before... I, I guess right before uh, the main character was born, uh, the, the world went into the direction to sort of eliminate all religion uh, out of society, uh, thinking that that was what was causing all the controversy and causing a lot of issues. So they took all of that out. Um, people live with their parents for about 10 years, and they go to government school and learn how to be good citizens. Uh, and so it's all about how do you be a good citizen, uh, and it's not so much about, you know, family orientation um, and certainly not about God. It's all about how do you contribute to society. Elaborate just a bit on what you really wanted people to take away from this book. Well, I think th this first book sort of sets the stage uh, for books two and three, Uh as I say, since uh, there's there's no religion or, or anything in their society, you first have to take them through to, to understand that there maybe is something else. Uh, so so in the second book, it will go into more of their discovery about uh, that, okay, maybe there, there is a God, so do I accept that? Uh, how do I know that there is a God? Uh, is there any scientific evidence? Because most of these characters, you know, are scientific backgrounds, so they're looking at, well, what does science tell me about um, about God? Um, and it goes just for a couple a couple things. It goes into one instance is that uh, I don't know if you've heard the expression, it takes a protein to make a protein, uh, in the sense that you know whether you you go into the microscopic world of cells, they're much more complicated than. Uh, people used to think in the past. They're extremely complicated. Um, and so there's this part in the cell called a chaperonin that is a protein that actually helps other proteins become in their 3D structure to make them viable. And so then the thought is, well, if you had to have a 3D protein to make a 3D protein, how did you get the first one? And so it, it goes into mm. uh, some of that to, for them to sort of you know, think through what does science say and how does that actually support that there possibly is a God. Randy Dawkins here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website randydawkins.com. 
We're nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. When you go to that homepage, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. You can also connect with the Media Center. There are also two blogs accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and get connected to the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible as well. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.